Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 240. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by a marvelous member of the Blueprint MCAT live online instructor crew. Continuing our time with Dorothy, we are coming down to the final few passages and questions from Full Length One from Blueprint MCAT. We are in the Psych Soch section covering passage nine today about the bystander effect. Dorothy back for another episode of the MCAT podcast. We are so close to the finish line, wrapping up Blueprint MCAT full length one. We have two passages left. That means two more episodes. And (laughs) then we're done and we can go, oh my gosh, finally. And then we can check our score and uh, and hopefully it's a good score and we feel good about ourselves, ready to go take the MCAT. What is, what is your thought behind when a student gets that score, right? They're taking a blueprint mm-hmm. MCAT. Unlike the AMC, you don't have to wait four weeks to get oh, your, your real MCAT score. Uh, blueprint <laughs> yeah. is, is giving you your score right away, obviously. Um, what should students do when they see that score, whether it's good or bad? Yeah, I I always like to take a few deep breaths before clicking next to actually see my score because I feel like I am a kind of an emotional person. So if it's not what I wanted or if it's not exactly in line with what I was expecting, then I will be crushed. And so I kind of take a few seconds to just remind myself like, okay, no matter what, this is a learning opportunity. I can figure out what went well, what went wrong, and what I can do differently next time. And I think um, if you treat every practice set that you do, whether it's a full length or QBank set or whatever it is, um, as a learning opportunity, I think, I don't know, I'm all about growth mindset. I think it's a great way to stay positive and actually look for constructive things that can help you moving forward. So take a few seconds before you look at it. Um, If there are things that went well, if you scored on par or better than you hoped for, then that's awesome. Think about what you did well, what you could continue to build upon, and also what things you could change up as well. And same thing goes if you maybe are on the opposite side of that, where you maybe are feeling a little discouraged. Again, analyze that, review it thoroughly, see if you can glean any additional insights from that entire day you spent taking this full length. (laughs) The entire, entire day. Um, (laughs) Awesome. 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 All right. So again, continuing our breakdown of full length one from Blueprint MCAT, which everyone can get for free, including uh, awesome new 
uh, flashcards from Blueprint mm-hmm. right inside of the the portal, everything at blueprintmcat.com. You get a fr- free account. Go sign up. All right. Passage nine. Ready to rock and roll? Yeah, let's do it. The concept of the bystander effect emerged in social psychology after the 1964 murder of Katie Genovese in New York City in response to media reports that dozens of neighbors listened to her screams but did not call the police, assuming that someone else would intervene. In subsequent decades, a consensus has emerged that a large number of bystanders, a sense of anonymity and perceptions of diffused responsibility, make observers less likely to intervene. In contrast, dangerous situations, physical support from other bystanders, and the active presence of perpetrators have been found to increase the likelihood of intervention. All right, so first impression from this passage, I actually remember learning about the bystander effect and Kitty Genovese in school. I don't know about you, Ryan. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so unlike cars, it's totally okay for us to bring in our outside knowledge into these science sections, of course, assuming it is factual. So this paragraph is really just introducing um, the bystander effect and how it relates back to the Kitty Genovese case. Um, and also just noting some other factors that would encourage or discourage intervention um, from bystanders. So if I need specifics on these factors, I know where to look back as well. But we have both positive and negative factors in terms of encouraging or discouraging mm-hmm. intervention. Okay. Um, highlighting. So I would probably highlight bystander effect because that is our topic. Yep. <laughs> so in that first paragraph or sentence there. And then I would also probably highlight some of those factors. So um, in the second to last sentence, I would say large number of bystanders, anonymity, and diffused responsibility. Yep. And then in the next sentence, dangerous situations, physical support, and perpetrators in terms of increasing intervention. Amazing. Okay. Paragraph two. The emergence and normalization of online interactions has dramatically changed the scope of social psychology research, and investigations of the bystander effect are no exception in this regard. Internet-driven research into the bystander effect has taken two major directions. In one approach, researchers have used online spaces to conduct experiments that would otherwise be impossible or unethical in face-to-face circumstances, such as randomized exposure to graphically stimulated violence. Such studies have found that in-group affiliations, including according to parameters, such as being fans of the same sports team, can moderate the bystander effect. Okay, so this paragraph is really introducing those online interactions. I I would probably highlight that little clause there and how they've really helped us better understand the bystander effect. So we have, um, I'd probably highlight a couple of those things. So in-group affiliations, um, as one thing that can moderate the bystander effect. So in that last sentence there. If I, if I knew how to actually like, use a mouse, it would, it would make it much better. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if your listeners are a fan of keyboard shortcuts as well, but I use the highlight keyboard shortcut, would highly recommend. It's just learning one, like, button thing to press it. What, is, what um, is the keyboard shortcut? I love keyboard shortcuts. I never knew there was a keyboard shortcut. <laughs> yeah. So if you do, you should try this. I think it's option H or Alt H if you're on a Mac. Ah, ah where'd it go? Oh. Let me see. All right. Uh, Did that work? H? Oh, there we go. Option oh, yeah. H. There we go. Beautiful. <laughs> Who knew? 
All right, now I know. Yeah, you don't you don't have to click as many times, I guess. I love um, it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last paragraph. Another approach is to analyze the bystander effect in the context of qualitatively new forms of behavior. As an example, a growing number of internet users engage in online vigilantism, using the web as a means to investigate and punish perceived or suspected wrongdoers by identifying and posting personal information, such as a person's home address, phone number, and employer, so that users, other users can aggressively retaliate. Wouldn't want to be that person. <laughs> Although most internet users, when asked, condemn online vigilantism, harassment, and cyberbullying, few speak out against internet vigilantes and bullies. Research into online vigilantism and harassment has confirmed that the basic dynamics of the bystander effect also apply in this setting. Novel findings include the possibility that perceiving an online space as well-moderated and highly regulated might exacerbate the bystander effect, while various accountability cues that highlight a user's own identity and behavior might reduce it. All right, so you have a, more factors and kind of more um, research that's being done here. Um, and this paragraph is really talking about this idea of online vigilantism, um, of posting wrongdoer people's info online. Um, so I would probably highlight online vigilantism because that is the focus of this third paragraph. And then I would look to the last sentence there to think about what else I might want to highlight. So we have, um, the well-moderated and highly regulated perception of that online space can worsen or exacerbate the bystander effect. And on the other hand, accountability cues can reduce the bystander effect. So, yeah. All right. Doxing is what they're talking about, right? Uh, exposing who people <laughs> are. I see it yeah. all the time lately with uh, lots of... Uh, people being filmed with mm -hmm. cell phone cameras and uh, people doing yeah. nefarious things, which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, all right, so we get to the end of this and it's like, okay, I'm really not sure what the heck I just read other than mm -hmm. we have this bystander effect, which I think most people learn about Kitty Genovese um, right. in New York City. And then we start to talk about online stuff and okay. mm -hmm. so confusing passage. Hopefully the questions aren't too terrible. <laughs> All right, so question 48. Based on passage information, which of the following strategies would not be reasonable for an online community to implement as ways to reduce the bystander effect to instances of online vigilantism and harassment? All right, so reframing the question here. Mm -hmm. It's saying... Uh, yeah, this is a tough yeah. one to rephrase. Yeah, reduce the bystander effect to instances of online vigilantism and harassment. It's it's like saying, I only want the bystander effect to include online vigilant. Like, that's a weird question. How? Oh, I think it's like reduce the bystander effect in response to online oh. vigilantism and harassment. Yeah. Okay. So it's essentially, you can ignore the whole last part if that's easier. Yeah. So like, what is not a way to reduce the bystander effect? And then in the context of vigilantism and harassment. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Um, okay. So A, preventing anonymous interactions by mandating that users participate under their real names. B, providing public recognition to users who report online vigilantism and harassment. 
C, emphasizing the role of users themselves in maintaining the community space. And D, rewarding users who report online vigilantism and harassment with small gift cards via email. All right, so which one of these would not be reasonable to reduce the bystander effect? And so we we come down here to uh, these online interactions, um, uh, specifically this last passage talking about online vigilantism and, and yeah. this last sentence, well-moderated, highly regulated communities, right? Online spaces mm-hmm. might exacerbate the bystander effect, which is interesting. Um various accountability cues that highlight a user's own identity might reduce it. So we, so if I'm reading that correctly, these well-moderated, highly regulated content is exacerbating it, making it increase, which is not what we want to do. We want to, um, Mm -hmm. we want to, I think the, yeah, definitely in a confusing thing here. I think the key is that it's perception of the space as well moderated and highly regulated. So if, to me, that's like, oh, there are actual moderators who are paid to regulate this space. I don't have to do it. And so th- in that case, it could potentially increase bystander effect. Whereas you have these accountability cues that highlight like my own identity and behavior. So like I'm responsible for what is in this space. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I was I th- I was getting confused with how they're writing right this this bystander effect of oh wait I forgot bystander effect means by definition you're not interacting. Yeah, right. And, you're choosing and, and to be. To me, yeah. to, I was reading that going okay. It's it's exacerbating. So it's increasing the amount of bystanders going and helping. <laughs> like, no, I'm reading that wrong. Okay. So this uh, is, yeah. This is the MCAT 101. <laughs> um, all right. And so, again, we want to reduce the bystander effect. And I'm mm-hmm. going to ignore the not for now. Um, okay. So what are strategies to reduce the bystander effect, a.k.a. increase people's interaction? But we don't want that. We want yeah. <laughs> we want the opposite <laughs> of that. Okay. So we can find them and eliminate them for things yes. that would actually reduce Okay. (laughs) Okay. So got it. All right. A preventing anonymous interactions. So when you mandate here, these users identity, we're going to reduce interaction, but we don't want that. So I'm going to cross out a Mm -hmm. providing public recognition to users who report online vigilantism and harassment. To me, that seems very similar to a Right of like, ooh, yeah. like you're gonna call them out by their names and recognize them and blah blah blah. So that would also reduce, which is not what we want. See, emphasizing the role of the users themselves in maintaining the community space. Okay, to me that is questionable because, right, we have this mm-hmm. whole see something say something and and the bystanders like somebody else will see it and they'll say it um so if you emphasize it maybe that's not doing what you need to do uh d rewarding users who report online vigilantism and harassment with small gift cards via email so to me potentially d is also this question of like well that's not really 
going to <laughs> reduce the bystander effect because it's just right. It's just it's very private. It's very private. Right. Um. So I'm gonna go with D because it seems more right than C. Yeah, D would be correct here. So I also kind of like that B and D were kind of similar, just that like because they're both recognizing people who report harassment, but one is doing it publicly, the other is doing it by email, right? So it's like a very one-on-one individual basis. So like just because one person reports, great, good for them, but no one else will know that they report it. So it might not encourage that behavior to increase, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a hard one. (laughs) The wording (laughs) around all of that is just strange for me for some reason. Anyway. For sure, yeah. All right. All right, question 49. Based on the information from the passage, what conformity process or factor most likely impacts the behavior of internet users who decide to engage in harassment without examining evidence for themselves? So another question then potentially to rephrase here. We've got A, normative influence, B, informational influence, C, compliance, and D, ingratiation. What conformity process or factor most likely impacts the behavior of internet users? I like how they capitalize internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think we're beyond the point where it's a proper noun. It's just a thing now. Um, right. Users who decide to engage in harassment without examining evidence for themselves. All right. So this is talking about like when we get into this. Uh, this online vigilantism of like, I don't need to look for evidence. I'm just going to harass because other people are harassing. I think that's what mm-hmm. it's saying. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Very much like group culture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, these definitions, normative influence, informational influence, compliance, ingratiation. Um, I have no idea. These these are so so strict of def- definitions. So normative influence, like normative, to me is like, oh, I'm going to be like everyone else, normative, normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something maybe there. Uh, informational influence, I don't know what that means, but doesn't <laughs> just doesn't sound right. Um, compliance. I don't know if compliance is the right word here, right? Compliance is like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do something just because like the boss says I need to do it and I just, right. I don't want to get in trouble and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, Very much, yeah. Ingratiation, I don't remember what ingratiation means. So I'm between A and D really because I don't remember what D is. Okay. So I'm going to go with A just because normative, normal kind of seems like okay. where I want to go. Um, It's funny. Majority of question or sorry, majority of blueprint students do choose A as the answer, but it is not correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if we look at D, ingratiation, that's like <laughs> I think I heard this the other day, but it's like telling your interviewer that you love the research and it's like the most fascinating thing in the world, even when you couldn't care less. <laughs> it's like trying to get someone to like you so that they can comply with your request or help you out later on. That's ingratiation. So that's not really happening here. Um, so let's take a closer look at A versus B. So normative and informational are both two types of social influences. So it's essentially like how we, um, essentially how we describe how people end up conforming. So normative is, as you mentioned, kind of like you want to be normal. It's very much like peer pressure. You're trying to gain social approval. Um, informational social influence is that you are more likely to accept information from other people 
as real, even without looking at it for yourself. So like you want to be correct. It's, it kind of comes from this desire to be correct. And it often comes into play when we might be uncertain about something, but someone else seems very certain about us. So we're like, okay, yeah, I believe you. Like, I'm just going to go along with that piece of information. Mm. So this is an example of inform informational social influence. Interesting. Yeah. So this is like <laughs> misinformation on the internet when you have your silos and. Right. Yeah. But you're very convinced that that one person knows what they're talking about. So you're like, yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to jump on your ship. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. In ingratiation happens uh, among medical students during mm -hmm. third and fourth year, mostly third year, uh, but fourth year as well, when you're going around in all of your rotations for medical mm -hmm. school and you're you're on your pediatric rotation and and the attending goes well what are you interested in you're like pediatrics i love pediatrics <laughs> i want to be a pediatrician then your next rotation is next surgery rotation. and you're like i want to be a surgeon right and so you're ingratiating so yourself into uh, having them like you because you you want to do what they do right yes ingratiation <laughs> i'm not sure I, i'm sure part of it is proximity but also part of it is like i want you to like me so please oh it, <laughs> please it is me. it is all that it is all uh, that and 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 shocker guess what the attendings know that that students play that they game they see through it yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good to know i'll keep that in mind actions speak much louder than words in that uh, right in that sense all right question 50 <laughs> A group of researchers is interested in learning more about the public's attitudes toward internet vigilantes. They organize focus groups for adults who frequently use the internet and ask them to talk about their experiences online with internet, internet vigilantism. What kind of research are they performing? A, case studies. B, quantitative research. C, qualitative research. Or D, naturalistic observational research. So they are gathering people and talking to them. So to me, mm. that's not observational. That's so, no, yeah. So I'm going to cross that one off immediately. Um, quantitative to me is not the right answer either, because quantitative to me is measuring something um, like amounts of things and mm -hmm. getting, getting numbers, more yeah. specific in numbers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, case study mm -hmm. to me is not right either. I think because case studies, again, to me is like taking this thing and then looking at that one thing and talking about it and measuring mm -hmm. it. So to me, this is qualitative research. I just want to go and find out and talk to them and kind of categorize things and yeah, exactly. So qualitative versus quantitative. Quantitative is all numbers based, like you can actually measure it concretely. Qualitative is more descriptive. So you're gathering information, in this case, through a focus group or discussion group. Um, case studies are very specific to one specific person or case. So it's usually a very extensive interview report about that person or group's experiences. So Maybe a case study would be if it was someone who was accused by those internet vigilantes and had all their info posted online, but was later proven to be innocent. Like that might be a cause for a case study, but qualitative is very much like descriptive information, gathering information like you would in a focus group or discussion group. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Pretty straightforward one there. Thankfully, finally, <laughs> easier one. <laughs> all right. 
Question 51, the tendency of bystanders to avoid intervening in conflict, even though they would want others to intervene on their behalf, can be best explained by A, opponent process theory, B, cognitive distance theory, C, drive reduction theory, and D, expectancy value theory. All right. So lots more definitions here for people to know. Um Cognitive dissonance is always like the one that stands out to me is it's always the right answer of like, I, I'm not going to do it, but I would want other people to do it. Like there's this yeah. separation of like, uh, the, this expectations and other things. Um, so to me that always stands out for this type of question of like, I'm mm -hmm. not going to do it, but I would expect you to do it. And that's some cognitive dissonance there. Yeah, absolutely. Cognitive distance is just characterized by any sort of contradiction in thoughts, values, or actions. So the action is like, I'm not going to intervene for you, but my value is like, I want you to intervene for me though. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And like the theory itself tries to explain how people justify those two contradicting beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is the, the standard definition of do as I say, not as I do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um. I think the others, do you want to go through the definitions yeah, here? Okay. So opponent process theory um, is usually pretty, actually particular on the MCAT to self-destructive behaviors like drug addiction. So it's like, if you have a certain experience and that initially gives you a super intense reaction in one way or another, so whether it's positive or negative, as that experience continues over time, the opposite thing might predominate. So this is super useful for explaining addiction and withdrawal because you have that initial pleasurable experience which gives way to the negative experiences of withdrawal when you don't have it um extreme sports can also be explained by this like scary things like skydiving or roller coasters as well but yeah it's you have initially high levels of fear low levels of enjoyment over time those two flip so addiction withdrawal kind of self-destructive things as well um drive reduction is very much um like homeostatic almost so it looks at the actions we take to kind of fulfill or reduce our basic biological drive. So like if I'm hungry, I have a drive to reduce that hunger. So I'm going to go eat food. So things like that. Um, and then lastly, expectancy value theory. Um, that is talking about um, a sense. Essentially, we are viewing our motivation as a balance between our expectancies of what we expect to get out of it and the value. Um, so expectancy is like the degree to which we think we'll be successful at it value is how much we think it's worthwhile. So if you have high levels of expectancy, so we think we'll be good at it and it's a high value, that's going to correspond to a high motivation level. Got it. All right. Get those definitions down. Flashcards using a blueprint <laughs> MCAT's new flashcard platform. Yes. <laughs> uh, do that, do that. All right. Question 52 laws passed to introduce specific penalties for cyberbullying and online harassment can be described as attempts to transform A, informal norms into formal norms, B, folkways into mores, C, mores, uh, mores, is that how you say it? Mores, mores yeah. Mores, yeah. Uh, into informal norms, and D, folkways into formal norms. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I don't remember mores and folkways, um, informal norms into formal norms. That seems too easy to go. Oh, informal is there are no laws and formal is there are our laws. Therefore, um, 
it's a formal norm that to me that like there has to be formal norms without laws too. So there's something that uh, doesn't seem right there maybe. Um, but I, I don't remember Folkways into mores. So I, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go with B because I don't okay. like the informal and formal norms. Just like laws shouldn't define <laughs> what's informal and formal norms. Mm, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. Um, yep. So A is the correct answer. Oh, here. man, it's too easy. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, informal versus formal is literally just like whether they're enforced or not legally. So, formal norms are things you can be prosecuted for, right? If you vandalize, that's something that is enforced. Informal is just unenforced things. They're not punished by authority figures. They still occur every day, though. So, an informal norm is like, oh, you shouldn't tell a joke at a funeral or you should be quiet in a movie theater like kind of those things that are unspoken but kind of expected they're not enforced though versus formal which is you can be punished for that um legally got it got it um i definitely don't agree with jokes at a funeral like jokes make everything better (laughs) (laughs) yeah so those are things that are kind of they could be controversial potentially um but they're just not enforced so thankfully you can't in your case, thankfully, you can't get arrested for telling a joke at a funeral. That would be maybe not good. <laughs> at least in this country. <laughs> right. Um, folkways and mores, we can just go over this really quickly. So yeah. folkway is an informal thing. So it's like relatively unimportant, not super significant. So it's like burping at a dinner table or holding a door open for someone, like mm. putting using your silverware correctly, although I don't really know how to do that still. <laughs> so this is like right versus rude. So like either you're right or you're just rude and not respectful. Mores are a little bit more serious. So it's like drug abuse is not socially acceptable. It's like right versus wrong. So I think more is actually derived from the word that that's from the root. That's the same for morals. Mm. So it's like right versus wrong at more serious um, implications. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's right. a wrap. <laughs> that, that was a much harder uh, passage, unfortunately, but hopefully got some good learning in there. Got got to learn some folkways and mores and all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> um, all right. Going into the last passage, right? Our, our next one, mm-hmm. we we know, right? Just, just based on how the MCAT works, we know we are going into the last passage. Mm-hmm. If someone is strapped for time, right? They literally have... 30 seconds left is it is it is it just as easy as click next answer the questions as fast as possible don't even read the passage glance at Mm -hmm. the questions and see if maybe it's a pseudo discreet you can answer quickly and just yeah just answer choice (laughs) c is is always the right answer in in that situation Yep. Also, don't forget, we also have three or four more discreet questions at the end of this last passage set so if you're really down to the wire you're you have one more passage left you have your discrete set left as well i would just for the passage not even read it if i can eliminate great but just choose one answer for all of them don't leave anything blank but then i would actually skip straight to the discrete questions because those i don't have to read a passage for they are usually a little bit cheaper in terms of time per point um so if i'm really down to the wire i'd probably just fill in answers for the passage and go straight to the discrete questions at the end all right so there you have it again dorothy from blueprint mcat live online instructor crew if you like what she talks about here on the podcast and you want her 
to be your instructor on the live online from Blueprint MCAT. Go to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for their live online course, and you'll potentially have Dorothy as your instructor. Remember that the live online crew, those 16 classes that you get are staffed by two amazing members of the Blueprint Live Online crew so that you don't just have one person droning on and on about you. It's kind of set up like this podcast where you have two people who can communicate together, who can answer your questions, and can help you integrate the knowledge that you're learning from all of the amazing Blueprint MCAT resources into your MCAT strategy. Again, go check them out, blueprintmcat.com. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast.